And this is our last message in this short little letter. We um, had three messages. Um, this is the last one. So let me read the whole letter and then we'll get into the message. Letter of Paul to Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved brother and fellow worker, and to Aphia, our sister, and to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church in your house, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of the faith which you have toward the Lord Jesus and toward all the saints. And I pray that the fellowship of your faith may become effective through the full knowledge of every good thing which is in you for the sake of Christ. For I have come to have much joy and comfort in your love because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. Therefore, though I have much boldness in Christ to command you to do what is proper, yet for love's sake I rather plead with you, since I am such a person as Paul the aged and now also a prisoner of Christ Jesus. I plead with you for my child Onesimus, of whom I became a father in my chains, who formerly was useless to you, but now is useful both to you and to me. I have sent him back to you in person, that is my very heart, whom I intended to keep with me, so that on your behalf he might minister to me in my chains for the gospel. But without your consent I did not want to do anything, so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but voluntarily. For perhaps he was for this reason separated from you for a while, that you would have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. If then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And at the same time, also prepare me a lodging. For I hope that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord, Jesus Christ, be with your spirit. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this short, personal letter. And the fact that it was included in the canon of Scripture, that it is indeed Scripture, that um, the Holy Spirit moved through the Apostle Paul to write this. And to write it not only to Philemon and the church at Colossae that met in his house, but to write it to us. We thank you for the principles that are found within it, the lessons that we have learned so far. And we pray, Lord, as we look at this last section of this letter, that you would help us to learn even more. Please guide us as we consider the truths, the principles, the commands concerning forgiveness, reconciliation, fellowship, partnership. Help us to receive them. And Lord, as I preach your word, I pray that my words would be your words. Your words would go forth in power and precision to impact the hearts and minds of your people for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.
So in studying this short letter of... It's good? Okay. In studying this short letter of Paul to Philemon over the past couple weeks, this is a third message. Um, some, some have split this up into four messages, but it's um, probably three. You could do it all in one, but we've uh, done it in three. And um, in the last two messages, we've not only gained a better understanding of forgiveness, but have gained a view into the relationships of a particular church in a particular time and place so that as the Holy Spirit intended, we've gained a fuller view of forgiveness and reconciliation, its implications and applications, and its objective or goal that um, forgiveness isn't just forgiveness for the sake of forgiveness, to uh, forgive someone, to relieve them of that sin debt or um, a monetary debt that they owe you, or to uh, just... Um, have, once again, uh, a neutral relationship or um, be on speaking terms again. But there's a goal, there's an objective to forgiveness, and, and that is fellowship. That the relationship wouldn't be neutral, but it would be positive. That there would be uh, a partnership. And, and that's, that's more precisely what that term fellowship means. It's not just we, we gather for fellowship, we have fellowship, and usually when we use that term, we think of socializing together, of encouraging one another, um, of enjoying one another's company, and that's, that is a huge part of fellowship. But fellowship is more precisely, could be um, defined as partnership. Partnership, and partnership in ministry, in gospel ministry. And so... In looking at this letter, I wanted to bring that out, um, that forgiveness isn't forgiveness just for the sake of forgiveness so that there's no more hostility, but that there would be partnership. There would be a positive relationship. And so in looking at this letter, we saw in verses 1 to 7 a message which I entitled The Prerequisites of Fellowship as in those verses, Paul commends Philemon's character and service to the church um, before he enters into his plea for Philemon to forgive Onesimus. And then last week, we looked at verses 8 to 16, which is really the central part of the letter, his argument in which we see Paul the peacemaker, or Paul as the peacemaker, in which he pleads with Philemon on behalf of Onesimus. And then also, as we will see in greater detail today for the church, because forgiveness and reconciliation in the context of the church is not just for the sake of the individuals involved, but for the sake of the church as well. We will be looking at Paul's plea for partnership. For partnership. His plea, and whenever we come into that situation of pleading for someone's forgiveness or asking for someone's forgiveness, um, that we are really pleading for a renewed relationship, for fellowship, for partnership. And it's not just for the sake of the individuals involved. It's for the sake of the church as well, for its witness, which, as everything in the church does, goes back to the gospel. 
Everything goes back to the gospel. Our understanding of the gospel and our application of the principles, the commands, and those promises laid out in the gospel, everything we do should be rooted and grounded in the gospel. It should point us back to the gospel. It should proclaim the gospel. And forgiveness, reconciliation, partnership, it's at the core of the gospel. We see this in, in several gospel passages, but most notably, I, I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5, and, and we see this concept of forgiveness and reconciliation really clearly here. And, and it's a fact of um, the reconciliation found in the gospel, that effect that it would then have on the church and on gospel ministry. As Paul speaks to the Corinthians and he explains to them partly why he does what he does and his ministry to the Corinthians, to all the other churches, he says this in 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, he says this, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him in this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their transgressions against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So then we are ambassadors for Christ as God is pleading through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And as we have already read through Philemon, we can see in 2 Corinthians 5 kind of all those applications of forgiveness, reconciliation of the gospel here in Philemon. We see the gospel message clear that that Paul is, in a sense, because he, he has been reconciled, he's been given this ministry of reconciliation that he um, is um, addressing to the Corinthians, this ministry of reconciliation, the, the gospel, gospel ministry, that sinners would be reconciled to God. They would be forgiven and reconciled, made one with God, one with Christ, forgiven of all their transgressions, all their sins. And because of that, he calls people to not only be reconciled to God, but to be reconciled to one another. That your forgiveness with God through Jesus Christ um, should extend to others. As we've read in past messages that, um, that we are to forgive because we've been forgiven much. Because we've been forgiven much. And... In this passage, particularly, uh, verses 17 to 25, this last section of uh, Paul's letter to Philemon, we see three aspects of the Apostle Paul's um, argument to Philemon for uh, the forgiveness, reconciliation, and partnership with Onesimus. Three aspects of um, his plea. 
to forgive Onesimus, his runaway slave. And, and these three aspects of Paul's argument are based in his objective of partnership. Not just that, that uh, Philemon would absolve Onesimus of all guilt, of all anything he owed, but that there would be partnership, there would be fellowship. And, and, and not just between uh, Philemon and Onesimus, but all parties involved. The, the church at Colossae that met in Philemon's house who um, knew Onesimus, knew the stories about his running away, what he stole, um, everything. And so Paul writes this letter not only to pl plead for forgiveness, but also to, in a sense, tell a new story of Onesimus, that he's a brand new man, and that there would be partnership, and partnership between all parties involved. And so first we see um, Paul's partnership pledged. Paul's partnership pledged in, in verses 17 to 19, that Paul, in um, pleading, he had already plead with with uh, Philemon for the forgiveness to receive Onesimus, to accept him back because he's a new man and no longer as a slave, but more than a slave, a beloved brother. But then in verse 17, he, he uses this argument of partnership based in, in his partnership. First of all, if then you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. But if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. He uses this term, partner. If you regard me a partner, um, not just a friend, not just a companion, not just an, uh, an apostle with some authority, but a partner. And this term, uh, this Greek term koinonon, is that root from which we get koinonia, uh, which is most often translated fellowship. If you regard me a partner or part of the partnership or part of the fellowship, a fellow member of the church, a, a fellow worker, a fellow partner, if you regard me a partner, accept him as you would accept me. In, in other words, what he's saying is, not only forgive Onesimus Philemon, not only forgive him, not only accept him, not only receive him, but accept him as a partner. Treat him as you would treat me. Not just uh, taking a, a negative relationship to the neutral, but to the positive. That you would view him as you view me. And, and it, it, he's... he's Proposing his partnership. We see his partnership proposed that proposed to Onesimus or extended through Paul, his partnership uh, between him and Philemon, that he's almost trying to extend that through himself to, uh, to Onesimus. He's proposing it, proposing his partnership, that that partnership would be extended to Onesimus, that, that Philemon would treat Onesimus the same way he treats Paul. That there would be harmony, there would be prosperity, there would be peace, there would be joy, there would be fellowship, there would be uh, gospel ministry together. To 
too often, as I've said before, we think of forgiveness as just an ending of the hostilities, as just a burying the hatchet, so to speak. All those terms we heard, making our peace. But it's more than that. It goes further than that. John MacArthur, he says that there's three things involved in forgiveness. First, uh, reception, receiving the person back, receiving them, being open to them so that um, they, in a sense, um, feel comfortable repenting. Um, and, and forgiveness cannot be received until there's repentance. We can offer forgiveness and we should offer forgiveness and we're commanded to offer forgiveness, but it's not really received from the other party until that other party repents. And so even throughout this whole letter, there's an implication that Onesimus is repentant and that he will repent. And that's part of the reason why Paul sends him back in person. That there would be repentance and forgiveness. But forgiveness starts with reception and then restoration. Restoration of the relationship. But almost even to a better relationship than what was before. And then restitution. Restitution. That, um, yes, we can forgive somebody, but in most cases where there's been sin, there's been uh, sometimes something stolen, something broken, there should also be restitution. Restitution is evidence that there was true repentance, that someone's willing to restore what was broken to pay back what was owed. And so we see that here in verse 17 that Paul, in a sense, extends his partnership. He pledges his partnership and he extends that partnership, calling on Philemon to uh, receive Onesimus as a partner. And then we also see his partnership is promoted in verse 18, but if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge that to my account. That, that almost, he, he's promoting his partnership with Onesimus. Paul's partnership with Onesimus, and he wants to promote that to, uh, between Philemon and Onesimus. That the quality of his relationship with Onesimus is such that he is willing to make restitution for him. It was incumbent upon Onesimus to make any sort of restitution. As one who is repentant and, and seeking to restore the, the relationship, it, it is, in a sense, on him to, uh, to make restitution, to pay back what he owes. But there's also a sense that Paul understands his position as a runaway slave. But more than that, it's, it's not just Onesimus's position, his circumstances, but Paul really wants to show his partnership between Onesimus, himself and Onesimus, his love for Onesimus, um, extending that partnership through Onesimus to Philemon, that they would all be one together. And he's willing to pay whatever Onesimus has stolen or whatever, um, even the, the lost man hours. Because it's not just the, the, the material possessions, the money that he may have stolen, but the lost man hours that, that Philemon had to probably uh, make up for um, 
one worker, one slave that is now no longer there. And so here in this small verse of verse 18, we see both the concept of restitution, but also the grace of substitution. And so I, I want you to understand this because Paul, um, he, has, he has a background understanding of restitution being a Jew from the, the Old Testament law. We see this concept of restitution in the Old Testament law in Leviticus. So turn with me to Leviticus chapter 6. And I want you to see, because this was commanded to all the Jews um, that if, if one transgressed another or stole from another, they were not just to uh, settle accounts, but they were to um, do something additional. It, it wasn't just uh, restore it to neutral, but they were to show their um, repentance in their restitution. So in Leviticus chapter 6, uh, God is speaking to Moses about these laws. And it says this, Then Yahweh spoke to Moses, saying, If a person sins and acts unfaithfully against Yahweh and deals falsely with his companion in regard to a deposit or a security entrusted to him, or through robbery, or if he has extorted from his companion, or has found what was lost and dealt falsely about it and sworn falsely so that he sins in regard to any one of the things a man may do, then it shall be when he sins and becomes guilty that he shall return what he took by robbery or what he got by extortion or the deposit which was entrusted to him or the lost thing which he found or anything about which he swore falsely. He shall make restitution for it in full and add to it one-fifth more. He shall give it to the one to whom it belongs on the day he presents his guilt offering. Then he shall bring to the priest his guilt offering to Yahweh, a ram without blemish from the flock, according to your valuation for a guilt offering. And the priest shall make atonement for him before Yahweh, and he will be forgiven for any one of the things which he may have done to incur guilt. So the guilty in repenting and seeking uh, reconciliation and seeking forgiveness, he is to also um, pay restitution. Um, whatever valuation of whatever um, he stole or cheated somebody out of, and then he was to add one-fifth to that. And then in addition to that, he was to give a guilt offering, make a guilt offering, which uh, could be a ram, or if he was poor, could poorer than that, wasn't able to afford a ram, could be... Um, some birds, uh, but whatever the case, there was more in addition to what he stole or what he defrauded from somebody in order to make restitution first to that person, but then also to, in a sense, confess to God. So we see this, this concept of, of restitution here in the Old Testament law, which, which Paul, being trained as a Jewish rabbi, certainly knew he knew the Old Testament law like the back of his hand, and so he knew what was involved in this. And he was willing to pay that. He was willing to pay back all of it. And then in the New Testament, we, we get another picture of this concept of restitution. But it, it's, it's a, even a better picture because we get this concept of restitution in light of regeneration or conversion. Probably one of the best um, pictures of not only restitution, but of the fruits of repentance. So turn with me to Luke chapter 19. 
In Luke chapter 19, we, some of you probably um, already are thinking of this story. But here we get the story of the little man. The little man Zacchaeus. The man who um, was despised by many of his countrymen. In fact, most of his countrymen. Besides his fellow tax collectors. And chances are his fellow tax collectors probably despised him as well. Because they were probably just as greedy and jealous as he was. Um, but in Luke chapter 19, we get the story of Zacchaeus' conversion. And we get this, um, we get the, a view into this picture of restitution, the fruits of repentance. Luke chapter 19, it says this, And he entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. So he ran on before and climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for he was about to pass through that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. And when they saw it, they all began to grumble, saying, He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have extorted anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus was so um, just moved by the grace of God, by the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, by his conversion, that he said he would pay back four times as much. Not just uh, what he owed and then add a fifth to it and then his uh, sacrifice which he owed, but four times as much. And Zacchaeus was rich. He, he was rich because he had extorted many of his fellow uh, countrymen. He took more than what was, uh, what was owed as taxes. And he, was, he, he wasn't just a tax collector, he was a chief tax collector. He had, had a franchise, so there was tax collectors underneath him. And they took a cut. And then they, they had to give him a cut. And so he, he got rich. But in coming to see his sins and coming to see the Lord, he was willing to pay back four times as much. And I'm sure he did. I'm sure he did. So Paul, he has this picture when he claims, he says that he will pay back whatever Onesimus owes. He's willing to do this. And nowhere in this letter does it say nor imply that Onesimus requested Paul to write this letter or to pay his debts or even to mediate reconciliation between him and Philemon. This was almost certainly initiated by Paul as he's discipling Onesimus, as Onesimus ran away and, and through the providence of God met Paul in Rome, where Paul is, is in a house arrest in, in prison with a Roman soldier chained to him. And he does have uh, some level of freedom of the disciples and, and church members coming and going and, and Onesimus somehow which is not recorded for us, but it would be interesting to find out when we get to heaven, the series of events that led up to Onesimus running into the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul, no doubt, discipled him 
And he says he's a changed man. And, and I'm sure the Apostle Paul said, hey, you need to make things right. You need to go make things right. And, and what's interesting, as I mentioned last week, that it wasn't just Onesimus who came from Colossae and, and ended up interacting with uh, Apostle Paul, but also Epaphras, who um, most likely planted the church at Colossae, was there as well. And so um, we have these two people from Colossae, and certainly Epaphras knew who Onesimus was. And so we have this discipleship opportunity, and then also Paul, um, in a sense, using or partnering with Onesimus for ministry. Onesimus did something for Apostle Paul during that time, however long he was there. And so then the Apostle Paul sends him back so that there would be reconciliation and initiates this to mediate and to even pay his, his debts. So we, we not only see this concept of, of restitution, but we see the grace of substitution. The grace of substitution. Uh, Dr. Charles Ryrie, he wrote in... His um, commentary on this verse, he says, uh, this Greek phrase that comes um, underneath that, that verb to charge that to my account. He says, this Greek phrase is translated imputed in Romans 5.13. Imputed. It seems that Onesimus' offense included monetary loss to Philemon in addition to loss caused by the sla slaves running away. Paul asked Philemon to impute or reckon Onesimus' debt against Paul's account and to accept him as you would me. A beautiful illustration of our sin imputed to Christ, wherein God receives us in the merit of his son. Paul is acting in a Christ-like manner in willing to um, pay restitution and show this grace of substitution, of imputing uh, Onesimus' in a sense his his sin debt, or his, his, his debt to Philemon. And, and yes, the Apostle Paul could not impute his sin. Only Jesus Christ can totally um, pay for our sins. But Paul's willing to act in a Christ-like manner to show what Christ had, did, had done for him and, and done for all of those who would repent and believe upon him. Paul imputed his debt upon him. So we see his, his partnership promoted in that way. And then his partnership finally proved. In verse 19, I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand. I will repay it. Not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Uh, and oftentimes we, we see in the New Testament epistles in that day, there was um, what's called an amanuensis or a uh, uh, a secretary, someone, a dictator, someone that would, um, the letters would be spoken. Paul would dictate his letters and someone else uh, that would write them down. But then, as we see here, he says, I'm, I'm writing this with my own hand. Because it's that important. Even as he, he says at the end of Galatians, it's written with his own hand. It's important. He re-emphasizes the fact that he will make restitution. He will repay it. And then also, he says, not to mention to you that you owe to me even your own self as well. Alluding to his partnership with Philemon 
based upon his union with Christ, their union with Christ, based upon the fact that, that Paul is, in a sense, his spiritual father. Whether Paul um, personally led Philemon to Christ or Philemon was led to Christ through one of Paul's disciples, nonetheless, uh, Paul is in that spiritual heritage, so to speak. Because Paul took the gospel to Greece, to to, uh, to uh, uh, modern-day Turkey, to the Greco-Roman world, to that whole uh, area. Because Paul went on his missionary journeys, many were converted, many heard the gospel, many churches were planted, and one of which was the church at Colossae, where Philemon is. So we see Paul's partnership proved in that he is writing this personal letter in his own hand. He's willing to repay this debt. And he also reminds Philemon almost of this spiritual debt, this great spiritual debt which he owes the Apostle Paul. Had I not come, had I not come to you, and, and maybe not you personally, but to your area, to uh, this region, you would not know Christ. There would not be a church in your house. You, you would not have had your sins forgiven, you would still be in darkness. It's interesting that Paul, in writing this and in explaining his heart and his desire to restore anything, he takes on almost this position of Christ, this Christ-like attitude, emulating Christ. Brian Chapel and his... Commentary, he says this concerning forgiveness. He says, By forgiving, we do become Christ to others. By bearing in our bodies the weight of unjust accusation, undeserved pain, and unretaliated harm, we are the Holy Spirit's message of Jesus to others. By the practice of forgiveness, we have the privilege of being a living witness to the one we most love and who has loved us eternally and sacrificially. This is what Paul is pleading. Um, to Philemon to do, to take on this Christ-like attitude of forgiveness, which he is, in a sense, emulating as a mediator, as a peacemaker, as he is, is uh, pleading uh, for uh, Onesimus's forgiveness, his reconciliation, his restoration, but more than that, his partnership. And so we see, first and foremost, in, in in uh, this section of Paul's letter, this concluding argument, we see that Paul pledges his partnership, promotes his partnership through uh, Onesimus to Philemon. And then, second, we see Philemon's partnership pleaded. Philemon's partnership pleaded in verses 20 to 22. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And at the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be graciously giving, be given to you. Uh, Paul is pleading for Philemon's partnership. He already, in a sense, is a partner with Philemon. It's, uh, their relationship is, is not um, hindered. Or broken, but he's, he's almost using his relationship with Philemon, his partnership with 
Philemon to, to plead for Philemon's partnership with Onesimus. He says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. As he had said earlier in, in, in this letter, in verse 7, talking about um, commending Philemon's uh, character, his service to the church, um, how great of a disciple Philemon was to the church at Colossae. Because of you, Philemon, my brother, um, the church is going well. I hear of all your work. I hear of what you are doing for the saints. And because of that, because of, of what you have done in that church and in that region, the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you, brother. You have encouraged them. You have blessed them. And so now I ask you to refresh my own heart in Christ that I would be encouraged. And so he, 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 he pleads for Philemon's partnership for the sake of refreshment, for the sake of refreshment that he in prison, how Paul is He's still able to do some sort of ministry. He's still able to write. He's still able to disciple as he discipled Onesimus. He's, he's certainly able to evangelize as he, he, he says in Philippians chapter 1 that, that the whole Roman, uh, all of Caesar's household, the Roman guards have heard the gospel. And people are coming to him. They're coming and going. So he's still able to do ministry, but nonetheless, he is hindered. He's hindered from planting churches. He's hindered from doing missions. He's hindered from doing many things he would rather do. And because of that, he can't go to Colossae himself. He can't go along on this journey. But he, he pleads for forgiveness, for reconciliation, for partnership, that his heart would be refreshed, that relationships would be restored, that the church would go well, and, and not just... Um, that relationships would be restored and that the church would go well, but that he would be refreshed in the reconciliation, the partnership, the, the uh, witness of Christ and forgiveness, that the, the watching world would see this forgiveness of Christ displayed in the forgiveness of a master towards his runaway slave. So we see Philemon's partnership pleaded for the sake of refreshment, but also for the sake of obedience. In verse 21, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. And it's almost, um, almost an irony, almost a, a, a contradiction. Because if he had confidence in his obedience, as he writes, and he says, since I know that you'll do even more than what I say, it's like, well, then why are you writing it? <laughs> and I believe he does have confidence in Philemon's obedience, but, but it's, it's, it's one of those just a, a subtle way of saying, oh, by the way, I'm sure you'll do what I ask. And just, just a reminder, not only of... Um, his submission to, to Paul as an apostle, but also his obedience to the Lord, that he's commanded to forgive. He's to be like Christ. He's to forgive like Christ forgave him. Um, and so we see uh, that Paul kind of just gives that subtle reminder 
for the sake of obedience. Obedience to the Lord, obedience to me as an apostle of the Lord. As earlier, he kind of alluded to that. that uh, he is an apostle. And uh, he, he says, I, I don't want to command you. I, I'd rather your, uh, your reconciliation, your forgiveness, your obedience be voluntarily and not by compulsion. But just to remind you, Onesimus, or, or Philemon rather, that you are commanded to forgive. And so we see Philemon's partnership pleaded for the sake of refreshment, for the sake of obedience, but ultimately for the sake of service. For the sake of service. This is what Paul is aiming at throughout this whole letter. Not just that uh, there would be no animosity, there would be no unpaid debts, there would be no um, awkwardness, there would be no bitterness or frustration, but that there would be partnership. And so he pleads with Philemon's partnership for the sake of service in verse 22, and at the same time also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Kind of along the same lines of what he was saying in verse 21, having confidence in your obedience. Why does he even write this? It's, it's saying, hey, um, prepare a lodging for me because I plan to come. Yeah, you know, I plan to be there. I plan to see how this is all working out and not just this uh, instance, but how the church is going and, and how I can minister to you. For I hope that through your prayers I will be graciously given to you. Not just prepare a lodging for me, but pray for me. Pray for my release and, and pray that I would come and be able to minister to you and through you and strengthen the church in your house. Hoping that by the time I come there, um, your issues with um, Onesimus will be all resolved and I'll see a happy relationship. I'll see happy, fruitful uh, gospel ministry and gospel relationships between you and Onesimus and the whole church at Colossae. This is what I hope to see. So we see Philemon's partnership pleaded for the sake of refreshment, for the sake of obedience, and for the sake of service. Rick Cress, in his commentary, he writes this. He says, Forgiveness and restoration should take into account the benefit to the work of the ministry and the glory of Christ. It strengthens the partnership that believers have in the ministry. It stimulates and refreshes others who are partners in the ministry. Forgiveness and restoration should go beyond the minimum requirement and overflow in abundance. It should overflow well beyond minimum obedience. I'm not asking that you just forgive him and let, um, you know, just let things, you know, go back to neutral. But I'm asking that your relationship would be even better than what it, what it was before. And so we see in this, this section, as Paul concludes this letter, we see Paul's partnership pledged, Philemon's partnership pleaded, and finally, the church's partnership commended. That it would overflow, that, you know, as, as we see in, in many of Paul's letters, many of almost every New Testament epistle, that there is this, this listing at the end, this, this um, almost like a postscript, as Paul often does, and he lists all his fellow workers. 
um, to show that he's not alone. He's not by himself. He, he's doing gospel ministry with others and, and is almost as, in a sense as it's not just him writing this letter, but this is in a sense a letter from the church. And in listing these people with him, he, he commends the church's partnership to uh, Philemon. Verse 23 to 25, he says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you. As do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. I'm not alone. I have other workers with me. I have a fellow prisoner with me. Uh, and, and there's people coming and going. And, and we're in a sense all one. We're all in this together. Even though we're separated by distance or circumstances, we're all one. We're all together. There, there's a, a, a greater partnership here. There's a greater unity here. And I don't, I don't want a, a small little relationship issue, um, even though there's legitimate sin, to hinder this partnership, to hinder our unity. And so we see as Paul commends the church's partnership to Philemon in the end, the, the very tail end of his argument, his plea for forgiveness and reconciliation, we see um, the partnership in prison that he has with Epaphras. Epaphras, the, the church planner, the, 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 the person who, who shared the gospel with the Colossians, who planted that church and has come to Rome, and, and now he's Paul's fellow prisoner. He's there with him. And so he mentions Epaphras, that, that we are together, we, we are one, um, Epaphras, the one who I have told you in, in his letter to Colossians, which these letters came at the same time, and it said that Epaphras is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers for you. There's a partnership here in pre prison. But then we also see the partnership in mission. As Paul says, uh, not only does Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greet you, but as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. And what's interesting is it, it's not just that these individuals are with him there, but that these individuals also have a background, have a backstory, have a history. We see Mark, the, 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 as many have said, the famous failure or, or the one who had departed on, on Paul's uh, uh, first missionary journey. And uh, Barnabas um, vouched for Mark, but it caused a split. And, and now Mark is there with him. And we see he himself had been forgiven and restored by Paul. Paul lists that. And Aristarchus, uh, one from uh, Macedonia who um, uh, met with uh, Paul, was with Paul in Thessalon Thessalonica. He's there. He suffered along with Paul in his his missions, and then, then Demas, whom we, we don't know until later that he would later desert, so, uh, but nonetheless, he is there. And then Luke, his, Luke is probably you know, Paul's sidekick throughout most of his journeys, always there. The, the, the brilliant writer, the uh, beloved physician, the servant of Paul. And so we see this partnership in mission. That Paul is, in a sense, by listing them, by um, ending this letter, by greeting Philemon, is, in a sense, commending this partnership to Philemon. 
Here are individuals that are with me of several different backgrounds and backstories, and they're with me, and we are together. We are one. We are serving the Lord. This is what I want for you and Onesimus and the church at Colossae. And there would be a partnership in mission. And finally, the partnership in heaven. As he ends his letter, as almost all of his letters, he reminds his hearers, he reminds Philemon, he reminds the church at Colossae of the gospel, of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. That we are one through the gospel, that there is this partnership in heaven of a, a union with Christ, of a partnership with Christ, that Christ is there in heaven interceding on our behalf and, and that we are one even though we're separated by distance by circumstances the church is all one and we need to often be reminded of that in our own context um, the church in general that we're not alone we we love our local churches we, we're supposed to be committed to a local church we're supposed to serve in a local church we're, we're supposed to be uh, united in a local church but we're also to remember that there's the universal church or the wider church, that there are brothers and sisters all over the globe who we are one with um, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there is a partnership. And so Paul commends this partnership to Philemon as he pleads for reconciliation, for forgiveness, for restoration, hoping that there would be true fellowship, true partnership. And there's a sense of, you know, uh, there's later writings in the um, second century that um, allude to uh, a pastor in the church at Ephesus by the name of Onesimus. We don't know for sure. Um, a lot of pastors preaching on this, they, they like to end with that happy ending. Yeah. We don't know for sure. It may be. We'd like to think that that was what happened with Onesimus, that he became a pastor at the church at Ephesus. We don't know if it was this Onesimus, but there was an Onesimus that pastored the church at Ephesus um, later on. Maybe that's what happened. And, you know, one of the most beautiful pictures of forgiveness and reconciliation in the Bible. It's, it's not just here. Um, it's not just found here. Though we do see a, a wonderful picture. We, we get a glimpse into the relationships within a particular church. But there's an, another picture of forgiveness and reconciliation that I, I want to end this letter with. Um, we've heard of it several times. But... I'd like you to turn with me to Luke chapter 15. Just to be reminded of what forgiveness and reconciliation should look like. Especially in the gospel. And we, we're reminded of this in, in this, pro, this, this parable of the prodigal son. Of what we have been forgiven of. Of how we have been re reconciled to the Lord Jesus Christ. To uh, God the Father. We've been restored. And this is why Jesus gives this parable. To, to explain to the Jews what forgiveness is, what uh, salvation is, what reconciliation looks like. 
what restitution looks like. So Luke, um, uh, Luke records this parable, which Jesus gives, and I want to start in verse 17. As we, we read about what happened with the, the, the prodigal son, he runs off with the father's riches, with the inheritance that he, in a sense, almost says to the father, I wish you were dead. Just give me the inheritance now. I don't want to wait. And so he runs off. He, he spends it all in loose living. And then finally, in this other foreign country, um, outside of Israel, he finally comes to himself. And uh, as Luke records, he says, But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? But I am dying here with hunger. I will rise up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he rose up and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let us, let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. This is the beauty, a, a beautiful picture of reconciliation, of restoration, of forgiveness of the sinner. Of, of what we have been forgiven of. And notice how there is um, this sense of repentance, of returning to God, but there's also a sense of, of the Father initiating the forgiveness, coming out to meet the Son. Don't, doesn't even wait until the Son comes up. He goes out to meet the Son, goes out to receive Him, goes out to restore Him, and in a sense almost makes restitution for Him with the party putting the best robe on him and a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. This son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And then they celebrate. They celebrate. This is what Paul is hoping for. So what he's hoping for that as Onesimus comes back to Philemon in the church at Colossae, they would celebrate. They would Onesimus would, yes, would repent, would explain everything that happened, everything that went on, and that he would be received, and there would be a celebration, there would be restoration, there would be a partnership, there would be a unity amongst the whole church, and that this would be a picture of the gospel for the watching world to see of what happened. Something that was almost entirely against the social order of the relationship between masters and slaves. As even Paul alludes to in, in, in um, Colossians uh, 4 and um, uh, Ephesians 4, uh, of that, that relationship between masters and slaves, that it was, it's, so, it's supposed to be um, so good um, between, uh, amongst Christians that, that a slave would never want to leave. 
This is to be the relationship, almost to be um, contrary to what everybody in society would understand. And there, were to, there was to be forgiveness, there was to be reconciliation, there was to be partnership. There was to be partnership. It was based in love and the forgiveness of the gospel. Yeah. We who have been forgiven are to forgive. And if you're unwilling to forgive, you have to ask yourself, do I understand what I have been forgiven of? Or have I been forgiven? Has God forgiven me? Do I understand the forgiveness that is in the gospel? Do I understand the, the, the debt which I owe to God? Do I understand the fact that God has created me to worship him, to honor him, to obey his law, and, and not just... just uh, uh, obey the ones that I, I think are right, not just um, not transgress them, but to positively do them. Not just to not steal, but to, in a sense, be a generous person. Not just to not be a liar, but to tell the truth. Not just to not um, hate or murder um, someone else, but to love them. And to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and none of us have done that. And yet God extends that olive branch of forgiveness through the gospel. And many of us have received that. But if you have not received that, the call is to receive it. To recognize that you need forgiveness. That you need reconciliation. That apart from Christ, that you will bear the punishment for your own sin. But Christ has come to this world to live a life that none of us have lived and gone to the cross to die the death that we all deserve to die so that we can be reconciled to God, so we can be redeemed. And if we are redeemed, if we are reconciled, we are to forgive others. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the reminder of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of restoration, of fellowship, of partnership, and most importantly, of the gospel, of the forgiveness that we have received through Jesus Christ, through his sacrifice. Lord, we all know that there are people in our lives, people who our relationship is not what it should be. And either that's because they sinned against us or we sinned against them or we both sinned against one another or... Um, there's time and distance that separates us. Maybe we've sought reconciliation. Maybe we've offered forgiveness, but it has not been received. But Lord, you know this, this hits home. That there are, probably most of us have somebody. Somebody. If you live long enough, you have somebody in your life that the relationship is not what it should be. So Lord, help us to take these principles to embrace them and to apply them. And as we seek to do that, remind us of what we have been forgiven through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. It's in his name we pray. Amen.